Bridge, if you, good morning. If you are in the building, I'm so glad that I can see your face. Um, it's much better than the way Chad just described you. I don't know why he said those things about you, but you look very nice. Um, if you are joining us online, we're so glad that you're joining us from there as well, wherever there is in your living room, at the vacation, wherever you might be. Glad you're joining in with us as well, and you're tuned in here. If you are new to River Ridge and you're a guest this morning, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Blair, and I'm one of the pastors here, and so I'm glad that you decided to take a stop by with us and check into what's going on here. I love to get to know new people, and so if you have an extra couple of minutes after service and you want to come and introduce yourself to me, that'd be great. Um, little, I said, um, but a lot of people around here will say it might not be a little bit of time. Maybe you need a little bit more time if you come to talk to me. Um, so maybe just say hi and start running. I, I don't know. But I'd like to meet you, even if you don't want to meet me. Um, this week, though, we're continuing our series that, we, that Chad kicked off for us last week. The title of the series is God Is... And Chad told us last week that right relationships can't be built on wrong assumptions. We believe that God has called people into a relationship with himself, and we as a church exist to help people to continue deeper and deeper into that relationship with him. One of the issues that we come across here as pastors, and you probably experience it in your own interactions with people, is that some people just have misconceptions or wrong assumptions about who God is. They put characteristics on God that just aren't true about who he is. And we feel like if, if they knew him correctly, they wouldn't actually reject him. But because of these wrong assumptions, most people either reject him or they have strained relationships with him, and that's not needed. These assumptions don't paint a clear picture of who God is, the God that I know, the God that I wish they knew. And as A.W. Tozer puts it here, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so pray with me this morning that God would give us a clearer picture of who he is. Father, I thank you for this time to come together as a body, to come together as the church, to be here together this morning. And as last week we thought about uh, wrong assumptions that we have had or that people have around us, that sometimes you're an angry God, and that's not actually true. The God that we see, the God that you are, is a God that is love. And so this morning, God, I pray for the wrong assumptions that we have about you, that we would understand them more clearly, and that we'd actually understand what is really true about you and the God that really is. Help us to know that today as a result of spending time in your word and being surrounded by each other, that we would know the God that you are. Amen. Uh, for those of you who don't know me uh, or my family, my wife, Carol, and I, we have three kids together. Um, Probably like anyone else who has multiple kids, your kids are unique themselves, each between each other. They're not the same as the one that came before them. They're different, and that's true of the case for my kids, for sure, and I've started noticing it a lot more. Just an example, my oldest son, his name's Isaac. Isaac is a kid who actually senses things really well. Like when Carol and I are talking, if we're talking about something that's scary or sad, even if he can't hear the words, he can feel the tension in the room. He feels the mood that's there. And so we've learned that we need to start being really careful about how we're talking because all of a sudden he gets nervous and wants to ask, what are you talking about? What's going on? What's, what's wrong? Kind of thing. Which I think will be an incredible gift that's going to be a skill that he can use to love people in amazing ways in the future. Uh, and so I'm excited to see how it plays out. 
My daughter, Abby, my youngest, um, she is, I don't know what else to say, she is Miss Drama. She is hilarious. I mean, she is really funny, but everything is fake and just drama for her. And so we will hear her in the other room just crying and like, hey, what's going on? And she's just in there playing. I'm like, you're faking, aren't you? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, why are you fake crying? I don't even get it, but that's her. She just, she's just drama. And then my son, Jonah, my middle son, Jonah has an incredible imagination. Uh, it, it is amazing and creative and wonderful most of the time. Like he has his own world that he created. It's called Jonah World. And every once in a while when he's not getting his way, he threatens to permanently move there and leave us. <laughs> and it's, it's funny for the most part. Um, but a lot of times his imagination also, though it's a great creative tool, it also gets the best of him at times. My family, my dad and my Wanda recently took my whole family for a trip and paid for all of us to go to Disney World. And on one of the first days we were there, we were getting just to the park. And right as we got to the park, the rain just exploded on us. And we were caught in an intense rainstorm. And for all of us, it was pretty intense. But for my Jonah, it was even way more intense because his imagination just runs wild when it comes to that sort of stuff. And he was just crying and begging to get us to a place of safety. He was just like, let's go back to the condo. I don't even care. I don't want to go to Disney World. Just get me out of this rain. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm scared to death. I don't want to deal with this. Get me out of this kind of thing. And he was just desperate for a safe place. We've all probably been caught in storms at different points, even as adults. We've probably been driving, and we get caught in a storm, and it makes us feel uneasy. We don't really like driving necessarily in the rain, and we have to decide, do we want to pull over, do we want to get home? But when we get home, and you get into your garage, or you walk into your house, you get the dry, wet clothes off, and you get your dry clothes on, you feel comfortable and safe, and it feels good, and we all love that feeling that we have there. And we don't like driving in that rain. It feels uneasy, but for most of us, it's not that big of a deal. We've done it enough times that it doesn't really scare us. But there are some things that do. There are some storms, it's maybe not the rain storms, but there are emotional storms in our lives that we have that aren't quite as easy for us. There's not storms that we can just close the garage door on and leave it outside. There's storms that follow us into the house with us. There's storms that we have that we go to bed thinking about and there's storms that we have that we wake up and that are still there when we wake up in the morning. 2009, I had one of these storms myself. In 2009, during that financial crisis that we had, that big recession that we had, that one, you know, that was almost as, you know, the biggest one since the Great Depression that we dealt with there for a little while. For me, it hit me hard, and it was a storm for me because uh, the company I worked for at that time decided they needed to cut some locations, and the, one of the locations they cut was mine. And just like that, without much notice at all, I was unemployed. And for the next five months of my life, I was in a storm, and it was rough. We got like maybe like five or 10 day notice or something, and then all of a sudden, that was it. We were done, and we were unemployed. Fortunately for my family, my wife still had her job, um, but she was actually five months pregnant at that day, and so I was getting really, really nervous. Every day I woke up with a feeling that I was letting her down. I woke up scared, fearful, that I wasn't keeping up my end of the bargain to our family. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and I just wanted out of this storm. I needed a safe place. I wanted a refuge away from this. I just really just wanted a job. 
Storms come in varying lengths for different people, um, so, you know, but it doesn't mean just because they're short doesn't mean they're any less intense. So like when the doctor comes in and says, hey, we see something on your baby. We're just not really sure about it. We want to run some more tests. And in that moment, you are in an intense storm. A couple of days later, they might come back and say it was nothing. It was actually just uh, just an anomaly. I'm not sure what happened there, and you're relieved from it. But in the moment you were in the intense storm, what did you do? Others aren't so fortunate in that situation, and the doctors come back, and they come back with a diagnosis. And it's a life-changing diagnosis, and their storm doesn't end today. Some of us aren't dealing with something so traumatic as our kids going through uh, one of these things. But we're in the middle of a storm ourselves and just dealing with just being parents. Um, you've tried everything you could possibly think to get your kids to obey. You've tried positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. You've done rewards. You've done punishments. And no matter what you try, nothing gets them to do what you're doing. And you just feel so embarrassed and you feel like everybody's looking at you as a parent and you just can't do it. And you're embarrassed and you don't know what to do about it. This isn't in my message here, but this was exactly me yesterday. Uh, and I, I had to apologize to multiple people because I was out of control. Uh, my wife was at the women's retreat, which I was excited that she went. And I was happy for her to go, and I didn't even want to tell her about it. But in the middle of getting my kids all the places they need to go, they are just not listening, and they're running off here. One's running into the road. Another one's kicking a soccer ball down the field. It gets down into the road. He runs after it. Cars are trying to leave. They're running out to it, and I am out of control. And in the midst of me, my brother-in-law is coming and talking to me, and we're having a conversation, but I have no idea what he said, and so I had to apologize to him later because I was so distracted that I have no idea what was going on, and I was just out of control. And I was... I was uh, I was in one of those storms that I just could not fix in that moment. People have jobs where it's every day, it just they can never feel like they can't catch up. Every day, every day, every day, and stress keeps building and building and building, and that storm is there, and they just want relief from it. You've been in a relationship for two years, and all of a sudden your boyfriend comes to you, and he breaks up with you, and you thought this, this relationship was leading to marriage, but all of a sudden you're in the cot in the storm here, and you didn't see it coming at all. You've been dying to have a baby, and you've been desperately trying for the last five, six years, and just nothing will work, and all you want to do is be a parent, and you're in the middle of that storm trying to figure out how do I go another day dealing with this. Some of us don't have storms that just happen to us. Some of us have storms that we're the cause of. I did this in my marriage, and now it's failing as a result of the things I did. My kids are so angry to me at me that they won't even talk to me, and it's my fault. I put myself in the storm. I have an addiction, and my addiction continues to make me spend our family's money, and every month we're trying to figure out how to scrape by to get to the place where we can pay rent or have enough money for food, but I'm the reason why we're in the storm that we're in. Hey, I got a positive pregnancy test, but I'm only 16 years old. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's because of me that I'm in the storm that I'm in. The storms of life rage against us in all kinds of different ways, and we're just screaming for a place of safety, a place to get out of it, a refuge, just a safe place away from it. In times of trouble, who do you turn to or what do you turn to when you're in one of these needs for a refuge? This morning, the God I wish you knew, the God I wish they knew, 
The God that's talked about in the Bible, the one that I know, that God, that God is a refuge. The wrong assumption that a lot of people have about God is that he's just not interested. He doesn't really care what happens with us on a day-to-day basis. It's not that important to him. He's not present. He's not there. He's not available to me. He just, he doesn't have time to deal with what I've got going on. But look at the way the psalmist describes him here. And if you want to open your Bibles, we're looking at Psalm 46 right now, or you can check it out on the screens above here. But check out the way that the psalmist describes him here. He says, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. A couple of words jump out to me really quick when we're looking at reading this verse. And the very first one that jumps out to me is this word right here, our God is our refuge and strength. Do you feel like you know God that way? Do you know him as a, as a refuge? Do you feel like you can lean into him in that way? I really like that the psalmist describes him like this. Like the psalmist didn't say my refuge. He didn't say that this is my refuge, but he said he's our refuge. He said that it's a very inclusive way that anyone who calls God their God, he's their refuge. It wouldn't have been wrong of the psalmist to say my refuge because obviously he knows him that way. He knows God as a refuge, but he wants us to be able to see it as well. And he says, God is our refuge. And so if you are a child of God, then he is your refuge as well. The other thing that jumps out to me is the words, he is a very present help in trouble. The NIV actually translates that as ever-present. What that means to me is, is that, the, that he, there's never, ever, ever been a time or a moment in my life that God wasn't present. In the moments that I need his help the most, he's there. I might not acknowledge him, but he is present in the middle of those times. Which got me thinking about a, a time when uh, I was thinking back to a memory I had a, with my best friend. And he'd been my best friend all, you know, most of high school through college or whatever. And one day we were just kind of looking through some pictures I don't know what we were doing at his house looking through some pictures and he pulls out this picture and he starts describing what's going on in the picture and in the picture it's of him as a smaller child when um you know they're at the beach and he's just going off on the beach just frolicking along finding his stuff looking for things here and there and then all of a sudden he gets real concerned that he's lost his family and he doesn't know where they are and so he starts hunting for them down the beach and he can't find them And then he finally finds the house he thinks is where he's supposed to be. And he looks and his family's not there. And he gets really, really scared over the fact that his family has left him and they forgot about him just thinking he was with some of the other family or something. And then he just starts laughing. And I was like, dude, what are you laughing about? That sounds pretty rough. He was like, somebody took the picture. They were there the entire time. They snapped a picture of me in my most stressful moment. They were there looking at me going through this, and I just didn't realize that they were there. See, God is like that too. Whether we acknowledge that he's there or not, he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. What I also like about knowing about this God is, is that he isn't indifferent to what's happening with us either. See, God sees what's happening in our lives, and he cares about it. There are... 92 times that the word refuge that we're looking at this morning is used in the Bible. 91 of them are in the Old Testament. 45 of those are in the Psalms themselves, people calling out to God and identifying him as their refuge. One of the times that it's used that's not in those Psalms is in Joshua 20. And it's this incredible story that God wants us to see 
how he cared that we had him as a refuge. See, in that period of time, which was roughly around, I don't know, 1400 B.C., people didn't get along with other people, kind of like they don't get along with each other now. People fought back then as well. You'd have a situation where like two landowners would be beside of each other. One starts planting their crop down on the land. The other one comes over and says, hey, you're on my land now. Stop planting on my land. Get off my land. They get into an argument, start verbally, you know, fighting with each other till finally one of them throws a punch and then the other one picks up a rock and kills the other one. The day and age of what happened then, the family of the dead person can avenge his death. In fact, they assign someone known as the blood avenger to go after him. And that was their sole responsibility that if anyone was killed from their family, they would assign the toughest, strongest, fastest person, and they would go after him. And their job wasn't done until they were dead. And as soon as it was dead, the the murder was avenged, and life went on. It got to such a place where the blood avenger was being assigned by the family no matter what happened. A lady's riding her horse to the market to go pick up some bread for the family. A little boy, not paying attention to what's going on, just runs out in the middle of the road. The woman sees him, tries to avoid him, pulls the horse away, but the horse accidentally bumps him. He trips over his own feet, falls on a rock, and dies right there. The family of the boy still assigned the blood avenger, and they go after that lady. And we're all screaming like, wait a minute, that's not right. It wasn't her fault. She didn't do anything wrong. It was purely an accident. It's tragic but she didn't do anything wrong. She even tried to get out of the way. If anybody's fault, it should be the parent's fault for not taking care of their kid. Well, God sees this as happening too, and he says the same thing. That's not fair. And he called out to Joshua, and he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do, and you can find it all in Joshua 20. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up six cities, six cities that are going to be known as the cities of refuge. And anyone who's being chased down by the blood avenger can go into one of these cities and the city itself will protect them as long as they're inside the walls. And so that's exactly what happened. And God wants us to see this word refuge in the same way. Go into the city and you are safe. Psalm 46, that's what we see there. And that's what he's trying to illustrate to us is that God is an ever-present refuge from trouble. The thing about a refuge, though, is that it can't be a refuge until you go into it. If the person being hunted down by the blood avenger stays on the outside of the city, the blood avenger has every right to, to avenge the death. But as soon as they enter into the city of refuge, they are safe within those walls. Your house is an incredible refuge from a rainstorm. As soon as you get into the house, you're good to go. But if you're standing on your front yard, your house is not much of a refuge at all. You're still down in the downpour of it. God is an ever-present help, but if we don't enter into him, he can't help. That's what we find at the beginning of Psalm 91. It actually says it this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who enter into God's shelter, those who enter into his refuge, They're going to dwell there and they'll be safe with the Almighty. You know, the Almighty, the one who said, let there be light, and out of that light came. The one who said, let there be this, and that happened. The one who raised Jesus from the dead, that one will be safe with the Almighty. Conversely, those who don't, who don't enter in, aren't safe. This morning, I want to give you 
three quick steps because the question we should be asking is then how do we enter into this refuge? That sounds great and all, like I want to go in, I get how to walk into my house. I don't really know how to enter into God. That seems confusing to me. And so I want to give you three quick steps. They're not going to be profound. They're not going to be new things. They're not going to be like, oh, great. He, gave me the, he finally gave me the secret to this. They're going to be the things that we've heard before. But for some reason, for most of us, we're going into our house asking for the secret passageway, the, the tricky way to get into things. And we're not using the front door that was already given to us. And so this morning, I want to give you three things that I think you can do in order to enter into the refuge. And verse 2, the very next verse in Psalm 91 tells us a couple of those. First, it says, I will declare to the Lord my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Step number one to enter into God's refuge is I will declare to God. When you are in trouble, where is the first place you tend to go? The psalmist here just starts by saying it. Lord, I'm in trouble. Help me. My refuge, my rock, my fortress. I don't know what that looks like for everyone, but if I'm reading this psalmist, he's literally just saying it out loud. He's just claiming that truth. I don't know if any of us have ever been in our house and that's happened. We say out, God, you are my refuge. And we just start screaming it out. That, that's one way. It might be a way that you can do it. Maybe you need to write it down. When it says this word declaration, uh, I was talking to Andy and it got us to thinking about like at the airport, when you declare all the things that you have in your baggage and you write all of them down and you declare this thing. And like the psalmist, you better be pretty confident about what you got in your bag because it can be really uncomfortable if you, there's something shows up in there that you don't have. But that's one of the things that I see really special about this and the way that the psalmist does it. He doesn't actually tell us if he yelled it, if he screamed it, if he quietly whispered it or he wrote it down. But one of the things we do see is his confidence in the way in which he says it. When troubles come, what do you do? There are a lot of options for people to turn to. There are plenty of things. God is a refuge. He's not the only refuge. There are lots of things that people turn to all the time. Some are helpful, some are not so helpful. When you're in times of trouble, if the first place you tend to go is to the freezer to pull out the Ben and Jerry's to deal with the trouble you are in, that probably is your refuge. If the first thing that happens when you're in trouble, you do is uncork the bottle and grab a couple of glasses, then that might be the refuge you go to. Maybe your refuge maybe isn't quite even as destructive as those couple of things. Maybe your refuge, you grab your running shoes and you take off and you go for a long run. And I'm not saying any of these things are necessarily bad. They're not. But no matter what we tell other people, the thing that we go to first, the thing when we are in trouble, the thing that we go to first is most likely our go-to refuge. Psalm 62.8 says this. It says, pour out your hearts before him. Philippians 4 goes on to that a little bit more. It says, by prayer, let your request be known to God. I think after we declare that he's our refuge, after we say it, after we verbalize it, we just keep talking. He knows already, but for our sake, we need to tell him what's going on in our lives. See, because he's an ever-present help in times of trouble, he's always there. 
but for our own sake, some reason we need to verbalize and we need to let him know about the situation that we're in the middle of. And so we just keep going. And I don't know what this looks like for everyone, but for me, sometimes it looks like I just lean back in my chair and I say, my God, my refuge, I know that I am safe in your walls. Let me into your refuge today. Here is what I'm going through. I don't know if I can make it another day as I deal with this. I know that I have incredible things in my life, lots of things that are there, but none of them sustain and keep me safe in the same way in which you do. Let me into your refuge today. And then I move on, just straight on to step two, right from there. In verse two, it says it this way, again, it says, I will declare to the Lord my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Number two is found at the end of that verse right there where it says, in whom I trust. The word trust is a great one. I really love the way it's used here. The thing about trust is, is that it's not something that's just given to us. When we talk about having trust in somebody, it's always because they've earned that trust. They've proven themselves over a number of days, number of years, number of times in our life that they're going to show up and they're trustworthy. And I think that's kind of where the psalmist builds his confidence out of because this God is the one in whom he trusts. And so step two says, I will remember God. After we declare that God is our refuge and we lay out our situation before him, we can remind ourselves of who God really is. This is where you open up your Bible and you look into the page after page after page of times where God showed up for his people and he was a refuge for them. You open up and you see where they walked right through the Red Sea. You open it up and you see where God rescued people after people when they were called out to him. This is also where you flip to some pages and you remember who God is and what he can do, that he will always be there. He never will leave you and never forsake you. You will see, if you flip more pages, how powerful this God is that's capable to do all things at all times. The same God said, let there be light, is the same God who calls out to me and says, he can be my refuge. Ideally, this is actually where you pull out your journal and you flip back to a few years and you see how God showed up in your life personally. And if you don't keep a journal, man, I can't, I can't stress it enough. I would love for you to start today. Because if you flip back and see how God showed up in your life, it will be such a help for you. If I was to pull out my journal from 2009, May through January would be a really dark. I was struggling. I felt like I wasn't ever going to get a job. You'd see it on the pages, my frustration, my hurt, my desperation, my fear of not knowing whether I was going to be able to take care of this new baby that was coming along. But then in May, you would see that I got a job. You'd also see that my son was born. Things to celebrate. But then you'd have to look a few more years in the future to see how God kept working the whole story out. See, when I got my job, I got a job. I was living in Huntington, but I got, got a job that was in Charleston. How taking that job in Charleston led my family to decide that we needed to split the difference and live in Hurricane, so we moved to Hurricane. How living in Hurricane got us connected with River Ridge, and how going to River Ridge allowed my wife and I to join staff here and are serving in ways that we never thought was going to happen for us. My God has proven himself over and over again in my life 
not because he did what I wanted him to do. See, for me, I wasn't interested in a job in Charleston. I wanted a job in Huntington. I wanted to be invested in the church that I was part of there. I wanted to be connected to the small group that I'd already been a part of, that it was growing. But God being trustworthy doesn't mean that he's a genie in the bottle waiting to grant wishes exactly how we have them, but he does and is there. His plan might not be the same as ours. He might not quiet the storm so quickly, but he is an ever-present time in those troubles. He doesn't promise to take away the storm, but he is an ever-present help in the midst of them. Step three says, I will lean into God's people. There are some things that are just not meant to go it alone. There are some storms that totally wreck us. Catastrophic events in our lives that we are not sure that we can even muster up the strength to get out of bed. Times in our life where we're going to need people to pull us into the refuge. It's one of the reasons we so strongly encourage you to get connected and circle up around a group of people here. And it's only because that we have seen time after time again when people invest in other people and when they allow people to invest in them they're taken care of and they're they're kept safe when those big storms come they have a group of people that they can stand on their shoulders when they just don't feel like getting up people that speak truth and encouragement people who point them to the true god the god who is alive and real and ever present in their lives about two months ago uh, some close friends of ours moved away. Uh, they'd been here for the last, I don't know, say five years. Um, during those five years, God came alive to them and he showed him who he is. They found this place. And while they were here, God showed them who he really is. Our friends have moved lots of times over the last 15 years. It's just part of the nature of their job. But I was talking to one of them this past week and uh, she was telling me a little bit about it. And she's told me how different this move was. Her time here had showed her how important people were in pointing her towards God. And she told me that her first priority on this move was that she was going to find a church and then she was going to find a group of people to connect with. She told me how she had actually just that morning sent messages to five different home groups that were at a church that they had tried out because she was going to try each of them until she found the group of people in her, that, could, that could be there. And then she told me something that really excited me. She said, I'm different now. See, because in the past on these moves, fear would kind of take over my life. And she said something, she said, but now my faith overpowers my fear. I get to hear a lot of things as a pastor, but that one really got to me. I'm so thankful for this place and the people that are here. God uses people to point people to himself. Listen, we have an incredible home group. I love my home group. We show up each week and we are real and honest with each other and I love that about us. But this week, the thing that I love most about our home group is that it was a tool that was used in our friends' lives that when they moved away, they didn't lose their refuge. See, because God is their refuge. People point people back to him. Check out this verse in 2 Corinthians here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort in which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is our source of comfort. We may be able to comfort others, but it's only through the comfort that which he's already provided to us. Man, on Thursday nights, we have a group of people who do exactly that every week around here. Celebrate Recovery is one of those places that their intended and desire is to come alongside and support people to point them towards the God of refuge, no matter what their hurt is, no matter what their habit or hang-up is, they are there to support them and they come alongside of them as they point them to the real refuge. Just by chance, we actually have an open house coming very next week. Next week will be the open house for Celebrate Recovery. And so it's an opportunity for people to come who have never come before and, and go there. It, you, you're welcome at any time to show up there, but they design just a couple times a year where they want to invite new people in just so they can experience and see what it's like. Jesus intended for the church to continue on his ministry when he was gone. He had every intention for them, the church, to be the guide for people to find their refuge in him, in God. As followers of Jesus, we're heartbroken when we hear that someone has a misassumption about who God is and they have a wrong understanding of who God is. We actually get angry at other Christians who represent our God in the wrong way and they paint a picture that's not true about him. And as a result of it, people who hear this picture, they reject God. The God I know, the God I wish they knew, if they knew him rightly the way I know him, there's just no way that they could reject him. God offers himself as a refuge, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Next week, we as a church, we're going out from here, and we're not going to have services next Sunday in here on that next Sunday morning. We're going out of this place to take this message into our community. We do it through pushing mulch or painting doors. But CLB is so much more than mulch and paint. We go out into our communities because we have experienced the God of refuge. And we want to take that message out into our communities. We come here, we hear about God week in and week out, and we know who he is, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'll be excited to be here for the next week that we're here as well. But the people who don't step foot in these doors don't hear about that God. And so we as a church, we go out into our communities equipped with the message that God is our refuge, and we go out and we share that so that we can break down some of these misconceptions about who God is, and we use the tool of mulching to do it. One time a year, we go out and we make an extremely big splash on our communities, and we go out all together equipped with that message to share it in such a way that some people are asking the question, who is this God that you're talking about? And we want to hear them ask us those questions because we can break down the misconceptions and share with them that the God that they know, the God they think they know, is not really God. God is a God of refuge, and he's saying, come enter into me, and I will be your safe place. I will be your refuge, and you can call me my God, and I will be your refuge. If you haven't signed up, and I don't know why you haven't yet, if you haven't got signed up for a CLB project, come be a part of the community that goes out here into that community to share the message that's transformed our lives. Because God is a comfort to us, and we want to take with which that comfort that he's comforted us with and go out and share that message so that others might ask the question of who is God and what is the real God you know.
We as a church will not be here. We will be out there. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for another opportunity to come together as the church, to be the people that you called us to be, to know you better each and every day. Father, I thank you for this series that we might know you better. As Tozer put it, it's the most important thing about us is the way in which we know you. And so, God, I pray that you would show us and that you would break down any misconceptions that we have about you and that we would see you clearly because you are worth seeing clearly and we would never reject you because you are a God of love. You are a God of refuge. God, I pray as we go out this week that we would be prepared to come next week out into our communities to go out there and share that message equipped with it in the way that you've given it to us and that you would transform Hurricane, Taze Valley, Barbersville, everywhere, because people are starting to ask the question who you are. Father, thank you for your love and which, which you loved us. Thank you for what you did when you sent Jesus to put, die on the cross for our sins. And with that love, we go out and share it with the rest of the community. We love you guys. Amen. Hey, guys, like I said, we're not going to be here next week, so I hope to see you out on whatever project that you're out on. Thanks for coming this morning. I love you. Have a great week.